My next guest is Jay Chaudhry. Jay Chaudhry is a three-time award-winning producer and co-founder of Break Media. Enjoy the show. Jay Chaudhry, how's it going, man? How's it going, Azizi? Good to be back. Thank you. Thank you. It's so great to have you back. Uh, I really enjoyed our conversation last time. You know, we've mm -hmm. talked about so many interesting and cool stuff that I'm interested in personally. And I feel yeah. like you have so much experience in that. So it's definitely, I, I got so, so, so much value out of that conversation. And awesome, man. Good to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So how have you been, man? I've been good, man. Just trying to get through this, you know, the coronavirus season and um, keeping it cool, keeping it calm, keeping it collected. But I think... Yeah. I'm missing I'm missing going out, bro. That's what it is. I miss the patios. You know Toronto, bro, has some of the best patio seasons out here. So Oh yeah. I'm missing I'm missing those cold brews on those cool patios, man, for sure. It's such a great day right now, actually. It's I think it's like fourteen yeah, degrees yeah. and it's just so yeah. nice and fresh. I went to my balcony and was just like, Yeah. Yeah, and it feels like summer now, right? Exactly. And yeah. that's my first summer, so I'm like super excited about it. Hopefully they will let us go out. <laughs> yeah, dude, I know. Well, the, what, what did Doug Ford say? He's saying he's going to start opening up small businesses in a few weeks. And then, um, yeah. But he's starting with um, tomorrow. He's starting with the parks. You know that, right? I don't know. I really don't follow it. Like, I just see him like go through like some, 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 sometimes I can see those news on Twitter. But yeah. what matters for me is like, when can I go to the office? And yeah. they will let me know when I can. So I, I, yeah. like that's, that's the only thing. Otherwise, I'm just sitting at home and just go grocery shopping. Yeah, uh, no, they're, they're opening up the parks for the public tomorrow. So that would be nice. At least, like, people can go to the parks with their kids and have, you know, fresh air without being ticketed. So, yeah. Cool. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you think about it? Do you think that's the right way to do, like, just to open everything up? or how No, not, not yet. Not open everything yet. I think the parks are a good first step, though, because mm -hmm. you're still in open air. You know what I mean? That's better. Mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. no, no, businesses and stuff, I don't think so. Not, not anywhere close yet. You, right. you got you got you got a few months until you get back to work. <laughs> yeah, man. But I've seen like you break media post some things as well. Like, uh, tell me more about that because I see some boxers are posting content, uh, yeah. and break media is kind of like serves as a supporter of a foundation. Like, what are you guys up to these days? Yeah, we just uh, we're putting together a few uh, pieces of original content just for our athletes because, like, you know, um, especially when the lights are off like this and no promoter, no network is really focusing on the bottom tier of fighters it's all just top-notch stuff like i just felt like there was a need for people to hear from professional boxers who are not as you know fortunate as some of the top boxers mm -hmm. are you know so mm -hmm. um uh we got a bunch of athletes well, well the first one we did was called prospect series which is really cool mm -hmm. um It featured just five of our latest signees um and then we got like a little cool intro videos on i made on them but um The one that's coming up is going to be a little bit more interactive because we feature like Jay Leon Love, Umar Sadiq, Money Powell. We got the Adorno brothers from Philadelphia on it. Mm -hmm. uh, we got Francisco Esparza who fights out of Vegas with Golden Boy. And it's just going to be, and Billy Dib, who's uh, right, currently so. um, observing the month of Ramadan. So mm -hmm. I just think that, you know, it, it's really cool to see different sides from different boxers um, and to tell their stories of how they're handling Uh, this mm -hmm. month uh, because not everybody's fortunate to have like you know a three three garage mansion with fountains and shit so mm -hmm. it's, it's good to see the reality of boxers throughout this month as well do you think fighters are a disadvantage if they're observing ramadan i mean and they're fasting and all like is that i mean it's it's definitely harder on them would you would you mm -hmm. agree 
Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think um, Amir Khan has a story with Brady's Prescott that he was fasting that month. You know, that quick knockout that, he, that, that happened to him. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about fasting during Ramadan a lot. But a lot of these fighters do keep their all their fasts. Like, I know J-Rock does. I know Billy Dibb does. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Khabib does from the UFC. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. Religion has always been, like, an integral part to the sport. Even, like, if non-Muslims or even just Catholic or Christians or right. um, Hindus, like, they all... They're all pretty much faith-oriented, I think, uh, especially in the fight game. Right, and and with like the Russian box, uh, like fighters in general from like the, yeah. you know, from the Caucasian region, from Dagestan and and Chechnya, like it, it's it's kind of like it's a must to be a religious uh, yeah. person if you are fighting and you're from that region. You never see someone who is just like neutral. They always like. I don't know. Mm. They're deeply religious people, and so that's that's always something interesting and like something that like really separates them from the rest of the fighter community yeah i agree yeah man <laughs> so it's uh it's funny because uh, i was posting some things i was i was basically i'm in this youtube thing for a couple months now and mm-hmm. uh you know i was uh, observing a lot of i was posting a lot of videos it's 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 kind of incredible that with uh with the whole lockdown i'm actually posting so much more videos than i would usually would do just mm-hmm. because the, the volume of my guests increased because the reach is so easy now uh, yeah. since I switched to the you know, Zoom conferences. And, you know, I've been posting stuff and I've been following, you know, the YouTube inside, you know, analytics and I was just checking out how everything works. And mm. um, and so I, I just I just realized like, wow, there's so much things to learn and I haven't even started learning, but at least I'm, I'm already like seeing like what I should push towards to like, well, what should I like? make sure to do it it's just it's not just post content and then just put a title on it there's so much things on the background that you need to do mm. so i was looking at, at things like keywords and 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 stuff like that with at a yeah. to, um you know to different personalities or to different subjects and so i posted uh, how, that how are you finding that so right now I'm, I'm i'm using this website i forgot how it's called uh for keywords usually well first of all like how i started doing is, is i was taken as out of the way air right i would just come up with keywords like i was like oh well that sounds like a cool keyword for the video like it's related so i'm just doing yeah. it but then i was like i i used to do amazon fba and mm-hmm. um which is basically your you have your store on amazon and you sell stuff i was selling mm-hmm. um like bike pumps or something like that. yeah bike pumps uh it was like a small anyway so i was just did that and when i was i took a class on that and they taught us about amazon keywords and so mm-hmm. i was like wow it's probably applies the same thing applies for youtube and so I went to the same website, and the website is called. Uh, it's um, hold on, keywordtool.io, basically. Mm-hmm. That's that's the mm-hmm. website. So I'll just pull out. They they have like a YouTube option, and I was thinking about Tyson Fury, Anthony Joshua, and the recent news about you know their potential uh, unification fight in Saudi Arabia. So I just first of all I looked at the Google Trends and saw who is trending better. Uh, yep. Tyson Fury is trending much better just because of his recent fights and those you know incredible win that he just got over uh wilder and, uh, yeah so i was like okay cool so i'm gonna do like an accent on on tyson fury and then i put in tyson fury into that website that i just mentioned uh mm-hmm. and just to see what kind of keywords came up so i shared all of that and just you know just to share with my public like what am i gonna do because i feel like it's it's a cool experience that i'm going through yeah. with everyone that's yeah. following me uh, and yeah. then you kind of reached out. You said like that's that's cool, but there's so much more to it. And you know, let's let's talk about it. I'd love to share. And I was like, let's uh, let's actually discuss that on a podcast. I feel like we yeah. can share it with everyone. So yeah. so that's the only thing that I so far noticed is like, okay, 
you know, the keywords. And, and the one thing is like a, maybe a nicer looking thumbnail for a YouTube video. But that's pretty much yeah. it. Uh, that's what yeah, I'm I mean, focusing on right now. Yeah. Um, the YouTube, uh, when did you first get on YouTube? Well, my first video I posted um, in February, beginning of February, I think. Well, oh, actually, so you November. Just, you just but, came on. Uh, yeah, okay, just recently. So you started back November recently, yeah. yeah. Uh, what's your subscriber rate right now? Where are you at? I have 56 subscribers. 56 subscribers? I mean, yeah. So it's very important for like scalability in the beginning of all YouTube channels um, mm -hmm. because it's such a noisy market now. There's a fire hose problem. And this is something that, you know, uh, happens usually on social apps once everybody starts kind of like getting sucked into it and then they start mm -hmm. producing more more than ever content. It's called right. fire hosing. That there's too much going on. And I tweeted something about that recently. I said, a lot of people are going to find it hard to um, break through the noise this month just because of like how many original pieces of content that are being chucked out. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's important not to pay attention, number one, to like all the noise that's going on and just focus on yourself and what you want to do. Create the content that you'd like everybody mm -hmm. to kind of see. Uh, because it may not get picked up now, but at a later time it will. Um, and this is what comes down to when you speak about keywords and um, certain algorithms that take place mm -hmm. in the YouTube um, mm -hmm. hemisphere. Um, YouTube specifically is really cool to me because it gives you analytics unlike any other platform, right? So mm -hmm. when you log into YouTube and you upload a video, um, there's a few things that you should start paying attention to right away. Number one is context of the actual video, right? So mm -hmm. if you're posting a uh, video of like Deontay and Fury, for example, it's good to go hunt down those major keywords that are, let me put, take up my vibrator. Sure. My vibrator, shit. I'm going to get fucking hosed for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, um, so when you're making a video like Tyson Fury and let's say Deontay Wilder, right? Like, uh -huh. sure, you can go to those major keywords first, um, but then you're, those are competing keywords. So it's really hard to compete with keywords like Tyson Fury KOs Wilder or Tyson Fury's uh, mental health awareness or like Tyson Fury funny videos, Tyson Fury funny memes, because those are probably the top 10 you'd get. Mm -hmm. But those keywords are pretty much like, um, what's a, what's a good word to say? They're pretty much like monopolized by the mm -hmm. bigger subscriber based channels. Does okay. that make sense? Right. So like, so these bigger subscriber based channels, they use those keywords because they got million, 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 millions of hits. And if mm -hmm. you try competing with them with their own keywords, well, they're just going to take over. You're going to be on page number like 200. You should mm -hmm. be stacked up on page one. So how do you get to page one of YouTube? Well, number one is originality. Like you got to be very original in terms of how you produce your content. And I think in reverse of what you've been doing, you should be proactive in continuing being creative with your keywords because you're mm -hmm. going to be ownership of those keywords in the future. You know what I mean? So okay. if you have a certain keyword called Tyson Fury um, right hook and you're constantly talking about Tyson Fury's right hook, eventually mm -hmm. you're going to show up on the Explorer page or the suggested page when people start looking for his highlight reels. And it happens very monogamously. Like it happens very like, um, randomly sometimes where YouTube would just put you on a suggestion page just to see how you perform. Mm -hmm. um, but let me backtrack a bit and just sure. go back to like the process of how to upload to YouTube. Number one, when you're making the video, we'll stick to this Tyson thing, I guess, right? Since we're on it. So let's talk mm -hmm. about Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder and you're doing a review on him. Mm -hmm. Number one, the contents of your video have to include like me talking our verbal like audio is picked up by YouTube algorithms. So you have to obviously mention the words Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder very clearly in your mm -hmm. actual 
audio audible closed caption right. of your video. Right. So make sure you're saying those words. Make sure you're using all the description keywords must be said in your video. So if you're using mm-hmm. stuff like right hook, say it, review. Hey guy, this is a review of Tyson Fury versus Dante Wilder. That mm-hmm. right there is a description. You see what I'm saying? That's cool. Um, I didn't know that. Yes. So as long as you are verbally, very clearly, a lot of people mumble and YouTube's audio just kind of overlaps that and just kind of goes over those words. As long as you're saying the keywords very clearly um, Mm -hmm. and and you are staying on topic, like this isn't a clickbait because now YouTube knows what's clickbait, right? So if you say this is a video about Tyson Fury with Dante Wilder, but now all of a sudden you're trying to sell your fucking shoe line in this video, YouTube knows the clickbait and that's why your video just funnels down to the bottom of the bucket. Mm-hmm. But if you're honest in your approach and you are talking about the subject in, uh, in the audio, that's good. That's number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, this is my secret, uh, what I do, and this is one of the reasons why my channels prevail, is that I actually match the keywords with my project file all the way up until the thumbnail. So if I'm what working on a video, because this is metadata. Mm-hmm. Metadata is something that people don't talk about enough in the YouTube space when it's so fucking important. Like if you are working on your video editing, you know, you're putting together Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder video. Mm-hmm. I save my project as Deontay Wilder versus Tyson Fury review. Oh, okay, right? title. Everything has to match from the words to my title, to the description, to the thumbnail, mm-hmm. to the upload, to the tags. And that all has to connect with each other. Do you need to put right? spaces in between the words when you do title? Um, I don't think that matters, to be honest. Okay. I don't, at least in my opinion or my, my experience. Um, mm-hmm. But when you're saving your project file as that, and then you save the actual export file as that. So look, the project file is the same name. Now your export file, the, the actual file you're uploading has the exact same name. Mm-hmm. And then the thumbnail that you choose, that you bring in from Google, change it and write it to that exact same description. Mm-hmm. And then you upload it to YouTube with that description. And then the, and then, I mean, the title of the video should be that. And then your description include as much information as you can about this video and the more you try to actually emulate what you've said in the description is better for you mm-hmm. like I've, I've never shied away from long descriptions on youtube because i know number one nobody's reading it but youtube algorithm is so Got that's it. why i write the description but i don't care for the audiences at all mm-hmm. so i write it for the youtube uh, algorithm and then i tag for mm-hmm. the YouTube algorithm as well. So now what you have in the end of the day is one YouTube video that's uploaded to your channel is, st- is like j- it's just congested with all this data, metadata, right? Mm-hmm. Now comes the second part, which is the most important, is actually sharing that content. Um, so when you have everything already stored on YouTube, that's one piece to the puzzle. The other half is how much attention that video is getting once mm-hmm. it's uploaded. It's so important to share when it's uploaded. A lot of people make this mistake where they upload a video and they don't bother advertising it till a week later because that's when they want it to. No, if you're planning on uploading a video next week or sharing a video next week, you might as well upload it next week as well. Otherwise, mm-hmm. you just have one week of dead space and YouTube counts that as well as that it's not relevant. Wait, so, so what do you mean? Uh that space in advertising week. So how does this, what, 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 what does that example entail? So you, you say that you're going to upload the video or somehow like, look, a lot of people do this. They upload the video to their channel and they're like, yeah, cool. I'll share it next week on my Instagram. Don't do that. So oh, okay. Upload it and then advertise when you want, like right. make sure it's the same day. And I'll tell you why. Cause once again, the YouTube algorithm picks up on the amount of traffic that's coming into a video once it's uploaded. Right. Mm-hmm. So even if it's a small based channel, 
uh, like yours, for example, it's relatively small, 56 subscribers, but it's big in, in, in context because you're in a very niche market in mm -hmm. boxing and you can generate a lot of views on your videos if it's right. advertised the right way, right? So when you um, share your video once it's uploaded, uh, you got to make sure that you are bugging the hell out of all your family, friends, and followers or fans to actually share that video. And mm -hmm. don't be shy on doing that. Like I, like my, my social media is filled with like a lot of people who are passionate about what I do. And I make sure I like to keep a very good relationship with each one of my followers. Mm -hmm. um, and it's because, and I don't call them followers. I like to call them supporters, obviously. Right. Um, Sounds weird. Followers. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. But they're more or less your supporters. They're called followers on social media is what I was yeah, going to yeah. say. But um, they, so as long as you're good books with them, they'll share your content. So what happens is once you upload that piece of content, you share it with your entire list of people that you know for sure who will support you. YouTube will see that spike come up. Even if it's just 20, 40 views, YouTube sees that you uploaded a video, mm -hmm. you only have 56 subscribers and you got 50 of them to come watch your video. That's a hundred percent retention in terms mm -hmm. of YouTube's like uh, algorithm. They right. think a hundred percent of your quota has been met for this video. Anything on top now is just bonus points, mm -hmm. right? So if you get a hundred video, hundred views on a 56 subscriber based uh, channel, YouTube's like, fuck, this guy went up 300%. Mm -hmm. Now what they're going to do is very interesting. YouTube like very seldomly does this, but when they do, it's really cool. And I've seen this happen so many times where They'll be like, okay, you know what? Let's just randomly put a ZZ's Tyson Fury video next to like these hot 10 videos of Tyson Fury. Let's mm -hmm. see if he performs here. And if you perform there and people start clicking your channel, all of a sudden you get like 10 subscribers or 20 subscribers, YouTube will count that data as success because they'll be like, we put this on suggestions and immediately mm -hmm. his subscribers went up 300%. And now all of a sudden you're going to be featured there more often. And then mm -hmm. once, because they want to see you improve, YouTube's whole thing is to keep you on the platform. So they want to give you the opportunities, the right opportunity to get exposure, but you have to obviously just uh, be very disciplined in your approach and keep right. uploading, be, you know, obviously uh, consistent with your content. Um, and then I'll get into a little bit more of the analytical. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about like sharing it, like from like a social point of view, I was just like, to what extent can I really... I don't know. So I, I feel a little bit uh, shy to basically constantly DMing, you know, uh, my people on Twitter, you know, yeah. with my, my new stuff is just like, you're sort of putting that, but then like, I don't know. It's like, what do you think about that? Cause at the same time, like I know like a very popular journalist uh, in boxing always like DMs me his articles, even though like, I don't know, like, but he always does it. Like mm -hmm. he, doesn't, he, he doesn't ask even to retweet or, uh, or whatever, but he always does it. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? I, I, I think it's absolutely, yeah, it's, it should be a regular practice. Yeah, I still do it with all my content. Um, uh -huh. And if you're saying that a popular journalist is doing it, well, there's your indication. Man. Like, yeah. It just, it just means that everybody does, everybody who knows how important the content is to them, like mm -hmm. you, you, but it's, there's a way to do this though, right? I mean, there's not, you can't just DM, 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 DM and not expect to give anything back to them. Like, and this is where community, involvement comes into play like you have to mm -hmm. play a very key role as being a community leader mm -hmm. a participant in boxing somebody in the industry and like you know it's all in the way you present yourself and what you, what your goals are in the industry and once you can share that with your fan base um or with your audiences they'll support you all the way mm -hmm. but it's a given it's a give and take you know like i do a lot of stuff um personally for the community for example the last time i was on your podcast i shared with you i offered like a free podcast or youtube channel to like everybody right, right. And, you know um and it was it was something i did very honestly and i wanted to help people out mm -hmm. and then but in exchange for that 
now I got a bunch of supporters who back me, right? Mm-hmm. And so like now when I share a piece of content, I don't like some of them don't even um, say anything back to me. I already see it posted on their on their on their feed, and it's really cool to see that. And it's because I've built that relationship with them. Right. So you can't be you can't be selfish in your approach when you're sharing content. You have to be very um, consistent in keeping a very um, good relationship with your audiences at first, especially in the beginning stages, um, mm-hmm. because when you're starting out a small channel, it's important to um, build your audiences from scratch. And it's mm-hmm. like knocking on somebody's door. You know, when we were kids making friends, it's the same thing here. You got to knock on the door, you know, introduce yourself and find out what they're interested in, what types of content that they're interested in, make mm-hmm. a piece of content that would resonate with them, show them that you've done it for them. And you'll be surprised at how far that goes. Uh, there's this thing on YouTube uh, called click-through rate. And in my analytics, it kind of says like, well, you're at 30% of click-through rate, rate before YouTube recommends your content. What yeah. the hell does that mean? And uh, like, I, I don't know what it is, but I, were, I want to achieve 100% to know what's, what's going to happen. But I don't know if I ever achieved it or not. But like, what yeah, does no, influence I, the click-through rate? Yeah, I think one of the most important terms beyond the click-through rate is your retention. Have you looked at your retention at all? Yeah, yeah, I love that metrics. It kind of shows like to what extent like your views are actually quality views where people are actually interested in your content. Yeah, that is probably the most, um, like that is your make it or break it, right? The retention. And the reason I say that is because I've been in meetings with like Netflix uh, and uh, Netflix execs and HBO execs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is in during my time where I was pitching series, right? And I was pitching like a seven, eight part YouTube series to be on their platforms. And it started mm-hmm. with Phil, the culinary fighter. Um, they were asking for retention uh, data. Mm-hmm. And I was like, mm-hmm. why did you want retention data? I can give you the click-through rates. I can give you the subscription rates. And they're like, no, we don't give a fuck about any of that. Let me see how many people are actually watching your content and to what extent are they watching it and what percentage is because they understand that they hold the power to those click-through rates. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So when you are trying to position yourself where eventually I'm guessing you as well, like anybody wants to do is you want to partner up with a media company. Eventually you want your show on a media channel and eventually you want to get picked up. You want to form partnerships. You want to form brand deals and sponsorships. Mm-hmm. All they want to see at that point is how many people are actually engaging with your content. You know, right. on YouTube, it goes beyond just comments and subscriptions. They want to see how many people are actually sticking watching to your content. So when you have mm-hmm. a really good retention rate, what I find a good rate is, is 40% or higher. Um, okay. Cause I was about to ask. So yeah, my, retention, my retention, yeah. like I started uh, with my couple of videos, retention was around nine to 10%. Uh, uh, luckily it's, it's been growing right now. And right now it's around like it's between 15% and 30%. But That's really like, good. Is easy. That's really uh, good. Yeah. I, I would, I would say on the average it's around 20%, 20, 25. And you know why that's happening though? So it's, it's, it's actually works. It doesn't, it doesn't work to your benefit because here's what's going on with your content. And I'll speak to you specifically. Um, mm-hmm minutes it's because when you have longer form videos and like you're right, like an right. hour based uh, it's very hard for somebody to stay on board for an hour no even for me yeah like yeah. when i'm watching joe rogan or anything like that like i, I just you're watch, skipping like, through yeah or exactly. i'm just watching what, it then i take breaks or something like that yeah exactly or like uh, me for example i skip through a lot like if i'm watching mm-hmm. joe rogan for example like i'll just go to like i'm in the comments section most of the time looking for people's like uh, number points for like yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to watch. Time so I'll stamp. just click, I'll, I'll just, yeah, exactly. I'll just click that timestamp and it'll go there itself. Yeah. Um, YouTube sees that too. So the, your retention shows those like crazy ass graphs and they show mm-hmm. like what mm-hmm. parts people wanted to see. Um, so my recommendation to you would be to have timestamps right there in your description or in your first pinned comment, 
have your timestamps. I was there. wondering if that's worth it because I don't know, like. 100%, 100%. Because you want people to be able to kind of navigate through your podcast themselves, mm-hmm. right? It's really tough for somebody to be like, okay, I want to watch this episode with Azizi. And it's not just you, it goes for every right, podcast right. Or, or YouTuber. Uh, and to be like, shit, like, what if, I don't even know what this guy has in store for me. And yeah, already yeah. we have so much content that we consume every day uh-huh. that nobody's going to sit there and watch an hour worth of content, especially at this level where we're starting out to give you a chance. So you have to mm-hmm. let them give you a chance. So show them that, hey, on this week's episode, we got Michelle Joyce Fubb. She talks about UFOs, her this, her this, her that, her this. And right. here are the time steps of where she talks about those, those things. You'll see a better click-through rate. You'll see a better retention rate after that. Um, it's funny and- because I already have the timestamps. I have like for each guest, I have like a notepad uh, document and I have like everything that I want to talk about. And then after I listen to the whole episode all the time, I have timestamps so that I know how to like when to cut like cool moments and into clips. So I can just use That's that. Good. Yeah. Use that. And I told the same thing to Cynthia as well. So Cynthia's following my recipe for timestamping. Like I'm like, dude, when you're in the middle of an interview and as you're laughing and cracking jokes, write down the time right there and just put 13, 14, laughed. You know, mm-hmm. 17, 18, talked about this. Just mm-hmm. short notes and later on go revisit them in your edit. And then what I what I went to tell her after that is what I'm going to tell you is once you got all the timestamps figured out the highlight portions of your interview or podcast or YouTube interview, mm-hmm. go make shoulder programming content. Now, shoulder programming content is that our podcast that you have should be your base, right? Mm-hmm. In order to promote this base, you should have shoulder programming. So mm-hmm. pick up the best sound bites and the best parts of the interview repackage those portions and redistribute them through Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, right. and TikTok. But, but you can't just redistribute them the same way. This is where a lot of people get lazy. Okay. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think, cool, I did the base. That was the first part, which was the hard part, according to most people. And when it's not, the interview is the mm-hmm. easy part. Mm-hmm. Sitting down, talking to each other is easy as easy as easy, but it's after what you do with the content is really going to set you apart. So once you take those sound bites, now people will think, cool, I'm just going to export the part where, you know, uh, me and Jay, for example, talked about analytics and I'm just going to publish it everywhere just mm-hmm. with the same paintbrush. Mm-hmm. But there's different audiences, though, for different platforms. Right. I, I like to look at social media as almost like an entire world of its own. And mm-hmm. every app is its own country and every country has their own little communities in them. Right. And every community has their own little mini communities in them. So you have to realize who are you dedicating this video to and who is this video going to? So mm-hmm. it's really important for me to understand which community is in which app at what time. Because mm-hmm. uh, once I, so going back to this interview, Jay does analytics, right? So I'd go to TikTok. You'd have to make this more funny and more interactive for the youth. But right. then again, are the youth really looking at content like, like um, data? Maybe not. So maybe you'll skip this part and maybe you'll put the part where I talked about having a vibrator on. You know what I mean? So it's like, <laughs> You just kind of have to figure out which parts go for which, which app. And then same thing for um, Twitter. Twitter is more or less a very smart audience. I think in my mm-hmm. opinion for the boxing audiences are very mm-hmm. smart, very high intellect. Yeah. So I get like a portion to this part where it's only going to resonate with the boxing community. Right. I look mm-hmm. for that portion and then I, I change the title to the top and the bottom and just make that its own little world that sits on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And then I do the same thing for Instagram. For Instagram, right. you understand that it's more, um, it's more fast-paced content, 15-second stories, find the best 15 seconds, make it vertical, put it on. Now, every piece of content that you're now putting out is kind of different now. You see what I'm saying? Although yeah. this comes from the same base, it has different personalities and mm-hmm. different characteristics. And the more 
that all these people from all these apps are clicking the link in bio, YouTube it sees everything. So now they're mm -hmm. saying, wow, this little video that was tagged, thumbnailed, exported, metadata, that has 56 subscribers, one to 300%. Now he's getting views from fucking China, Japan, Russia. And it's like, they see that stuff. And then they're right. going to put you on a very high uh, pinnacle. And then that's how the YouTube channels ultimately become what they become, which is viral. And then they become uh, more, uh, more of a sustainable channel. Interesting. My, my main two uh, outlets right now for promoting in Instagram and Twitter, but yeah. somehow like on Instagram, I have, uh, I kind of have the same amount of followers on both networks, uh, which is yeah. I think around 600. And mm -hmm. I thought Twitter is more, would be more effective. But as far as I'm looking at my statistics, Instagram converts better yeah. than Twitter, even though they have to take extra steps to follow the link. They have to go to my bio and then click on the link in my bio. Well, we're That's interesting. On, on Twitter, Very I'm actually posting the links right there for Very them. So I don't know. I don't know how that, how's that? I don't know. How does that work? But I mean, yeah, I it, just, expect that. it depends. Yeah. That's really cool to know that actually. That's really interesting. For me, I get a higher click rate through Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. um, but for you, you're saying it's Instagram. So I'd focus a lot more energy on Instagram mm -hmm. um, for sure. But then I'd also look into what can I do differently on Twitter as well. So it's mm -hmm. like um, maybe you do need those short pieces form of content more. Uh, no. By the way, let, let, me, let me ask you this. We can do some just some R and R right here. How did our interview go when you put it on Twitter? Because I made you those cool little videos. Did you see a better click through rate? Right. Those videos? Um, I I need to check that data because I wasn't like back then. I wasn't really following that. I just in my past three interviews, I was like really looking into the data data. Cool. So, did you do you remember if you put up the videos yourself ever, or was it me doing it? Do you remember? No, I put I put the, you just sent it to me and I put them up. Okay, cool. So go back after this conversation and just look at those engagement rates. See how they mm -hmm. differ from just you putting up a YouTube link saying, "Hey guys, here's my latest interview," versus showing mm -hmm. uh, really amazing edited versions of them first and see right. if they make a difference. I mean, then again, it kind of, you can't really get grasp that because it's like mm -hmm. me versus Michelle Joy Phelps, for example, it's going to be really hard mm -hmm. to kind of figure that it's out. It's funny, like uh, with Michelle Joy Phelps, like she didn't really convert on, uh, and with all due respect to her, like she didn't really convert sure. very well on Twitter where I'm not sure why is that, but maybe that's because of like the particular type of my followership, but like uh, she, she didn't unfortunately spark the interest that I wanted her to spark on Twitter. However, her, her views on YouTube were actually, they're actually going slightly above the average. So th there's always like, you never know what audience will, will perceive how, like what. And very, very important. You never know what the audience will receive. Um, yeah. But YouTube, I could already see why it got more engagement on YouTube because she's a YouTuber. Yeah. So her algorithm is already floating up there in the boxing hemisphere. So when you tag her in boxing, which I'm assuming you did, mm -hmm. uh, it would, like her thumbnail will probably come up like she's more likely your video with her is more likely to show up on suggested videos of Michelle Joy Phelps than it would with a Tyson mm -hmm. Fury video. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. Because there's less volume to play with. Right. Mm -hmm. So when you have less volume of a, of a certain subject, you can dominate that vertical for sure. And that's what happened with Michelle Joy Phelps on YouTube on Twitter. It's interesting though, when you say that uh, maybe you just need to start playing around more with, I mean, I really enjoy the trailer that you put together. Um, mm -hmm. Try putting out different pieces of content from an interview. 
recycle it and see what happens. Right. Sometimes so that's what I'm, timing. that's what I'm doing right now. And I, and I kind of started doing this a uh, couple episodes before is where I'm trying to like cut like several episodes, kind of like taking the inspiration from GRE clips, like Jerogan clips, like, and just basically yes. putting those kind of things. Yeah. It takes a lot of time, by the way, very time consuming. Unfortunately, I don't have enough time, but like, it's, it's still pretty cool. Like when, when you find some nuggets and, and the conversion rates are, when you put up like a 10 minutes uh, video clip, the conversion is so much better. You know, you get like so much better, bro. And that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of people, like you say, I'm not calling you lazy. Retention. I mean, retention. Yeah, but uh, like time consuming. Do you want to actually go through with this? There's certain things you've got to do. You right. Know? Um, some people get lucky. Like a lot of people say, well, Jay, what about this guy? You think he's doing that? Look at his channel. But I'm like, yeah, he got fucking lucky, dude. Like there is such thing yeah. as luck on YouTube. There's a mm-hmm. big thing as luck on YouTube. If you just make a video and upload it, Mm-hmm. And it goes viral. Good for you, dude. Like that's really cool well, to happen. But. See, like the nature of my podcast is not really viral. Like I don't not, because yeah. because I'm not looking for interviews with boxers. Like I'm not looking to interview uh, Deontay Wilder and get some sound bites out of him. And and that's just my personal. Like I don't want to talk to. Like I don't want to have my podcast with boxers because personally, I I, f- I just don't feel like I can, you know do something good with it like i don't think i can like ask some cool questions because i don't no, know i think your i think your expertise is needed man like you um you interview like industry professionals and right like um you get cool people behind the scenes who people might not otherwise know um but just the nature doing, of it you're not gonna get the viral video out of it it's more of like no, it's no, no, for, you're not of course yeah. because look at the people you're interviewing like you know mm-hmm. what i mean like yeah, we're popular figures somewhat in the area of boxing, but we're not mm-hmm. viral figures. You know what I mean? But you would get viral in our community, which you are. I mean, you've interviewed some of the top people in the in the business so far, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you're already viral in the community itself. Mm-hmm. And it mm-hmm. might not show because of the numbers, but that's just because you're not catering to boxing fans. You're catering right. to industry professionals. Right. So the more you stay on this path, um, you'll slowly, slowly start seeing yourself getting more attracted uh, attractful figures in our mm-hmm. industry you know what mm-hmm. i mean and then at the end of the day i mean the ultimate goal should be to just continue making the content that you feel proud about right yeah it's funny yeah. gary, gary v just posted this cool thing he's like don't post the content that you get like other people's likes for like just don't put just don't post it for their likes post for something that you'd like to be remembered for like yeah 100 uh, percent. I, I, I totally agree with that I and think, i really liked it and that really resonated with me as well 100 percent, and that's what it comes down to if you could produce content that you can stand by and you're not just doing it because the boxing community or any mm-hmm. industry just you think that that's what they want like you're mm-hmm. not going to be proud of it at all um yeah so i totally agree with that yeah so and and so the strategy with my uh podcast i feel like it's it's and it's always been was like to actually grow it's it's just the consistency and the quality of content like the actual quality of of information that um you know that that the receiver the consumer gets um quick question to you about the thumbnails recently that's another thing i just adopted before I didn't have any thumbnails on the YouTube. Like when it posted, I just posted whatever like the, the thumbnail would do like from the center of the video, which was really yeah. ugly. Not, nothing was there. And then like just re- lately I like, realized, well, okay, so thumbnails are important because it's basically an advertising banner for your episode, for your, yeah. for your video. So I started doing some editing. You know, I uh, basically put like a bigger text and like I, I enhanced the picture a little bit. Uh, I feel like it's really helping. To what extent do you think you should be focusing on the thumbnail? 1,000% you should be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know I talked about the data behind the thumbnail. Now mm-hmm. let's talk about the creative aspect of thumbnails. Right. Um, these are, yeah, I mean, these are your attention grabbers. That's exactly what you said. These are 
this is the big banner on the side of the road that you drive by as mm-hmm. you're scrolling. So right. you need something that's going to be attention grabbing. Um, and if, if you're, if you are a podcaster or a YouTuber who can't edit on their own, I mean, there's sites out there. You can, I mean, there's Fiverr now. Fiverr does stuff for like five or 10 bucks. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It might not be, mm-hmm. it might not be like, um, you know, a plus quality at times, but the bigger right. the budget you have, you can get some pretty good guys on that app as well. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to reach out to them, get your thumbnails made um, and just have them, you know, done in advance if you need to, if you know your guest is coming out so you can work with the editor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having a thumbnail is everything in this day and age because this is what clickbait's all about. Right. Um, and, and and this is the number one reason why channels are prevailing on top of each other is because um, they are able to kind of attract more of an audience than somebody else just because of a thumbnail. Your mm-hmm. content could be so fucking good, bro, but mm-hmm. if you don't have somebody clicking through, then what's the point? Right, right. And, and and I feel like Michelle is converting good right now because the thumbnail that I've made basically is is a picture of her during my podcast, but like I edited it and all. So she looks really good on it. Yeah. And uh, and because she's basically a very attractive person, uh, yeah. and I put some text on that as well. I, f- I feel like I don't know, like that's and then then this is where I realized like okay, like the thumbnail is really is really working and. Uh, yeah, and I'd go a step beyond too. Like I, you know, that shoulder programming stuff I was telling you about like yeah. uh, those miniature series, uh, re-upload those to YouTube too with different thumbnails. Uh, um, mm-hmm. and that, could, that could really help you too. Uh, something that I did very well with all my YouTube channels, uh, starting with Culinary Fighter, was I had mm-hmm. like, okay, so this is the episode of uh, Mikey Garcia eating tacos. And then mm-hmm. I uh, put two more after that, that Mikey Garcia talks about this, Mikey Garcia talks about that, but with mm-hmm. original thumbnails. And then those two videos, in addition to the one that I originally had, generated 20,000 views each. So it was really cool to see that. And then obviously both those two videos also had link outs to the original interview as well. Like watch the full interview right. here, watch the full interview here. And then I saw those views trickle in as well. To what um, extent are thumbnails copyrighted? Because I, I kind of like cautious about it. So I'm just grabbing my own kind of uh, screenshots from the videos, but like what's, uh, what's the statute on that? Um, it's a tricky situation. It's a great situation just because uh, if you're not crediting, I mean, if you can credit the photographer, if it's a, if it's a Getty image, you can credit the photographer uh, mm-hmm. in your description, but it's, it's a very gray area of space because there's so much stuff now about fair use and what is fair use. And if it's mm-hmm. already on a public domain, doesn't that mean I can technically use it? Right. If it's like a screenshot from the Instagram, like it's already there. I, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's- exactly. Exactly. So, um, it's a gray area, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't fuck around with Getty images for sure uh, <laughs> because I've done, I've dealt with them in, in, in crazy amounts of like fucking mm-hmm. not lawsuits, but just like really like complaints, morbid email. Like fucking back and forth. <laughs> so, uh, they, um, I wouldn't do that, but I would do, I do the Google landscape for sure. Like just searching up an image on Google uh-huh. and then finding out where that picture was from. Like if it's right. from like a photographer and the photographer has listed on his website, and it's a yeah. fair, it's a public domain. You can use right. it, right? Unless he comes after you now. But then again, who's going to come after a channel with 50 subscribers? You know what I mean? Yeah. They might come after a channel with 5 million subscribers because they'd be like, yo, my mm-hmm. thumbnail got you 500,000 views. That's 500 bucks, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they might say something like that. But in the beginning, it's always good to practice a good uh, honorable approach to thumbnails for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. And once again, make your own, right? Hire somebody to make your own thumbnails. You can easily right, make right. it. Um, really creative what what do you think about podcasts because like my podcast is podcast right it's not i'm just not like a youtube channel i started as an audio podcast and it still is so i'm basically uploading the audio from this conversation to my uh podcast Mm -hmm. uh 
whatever RSS feed and then, you know, the server and hosting site and then it's already on iTunes and everything. Um, I mean, it's a different territory and I don't feel like the podcast community and the podcast industry is very developed in terms of promoting it. I see just something that's resurfacing and how to promote your audio podcast. But yeah. do you know anything about that? And Yeah, I mean, uh, were you a fan of Cynthia's podcast, the one that we co-produced together? Yeah, yeah. I listened to this. Yeah. It was great. It, it, did you guys do anything in particular for, for promoting it besides? Yeah, dude. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm just talking did. like the hashtags and stuff like that because yeah. I saw everything uh, on social media. No, no hashtags. I mean, it was just done really well, I think. Um, mm-hmm. I just think that podcasting now could turn into a visual audio experience if it's done right. Like, we mm-hmm. we took what was just a plain old phone call with Bob and look what we turned it into. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So if you, if, you can, if you can do that with your content, mm-hmm. that was definitely separate you from, from, uh, right. from the masses for sure because it's all about how creative can you get, how creatively can you advertise next mm-hmm. week's podcast, right? So, like, with Cynthia's, we just turned a phone call with Bob into a musical journey. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And but then we we produced it properly though. Like it wasn't right. just we thought of it afterwards. Like we knew from the beginning it's what mm-hmm. we wanted to do. Uh, we chose the soundtracks for the podcast. It featured like up to like, I think it was like ten songs it featured. Um, and then we related each song to Bob, right? Mm-hmm. And then we related it to each decade in the boxing business. Like it was mm-hmm. really well produced. So proud of that podcast and how it came yeah. out. Uh, but then on top of that. My job was to create the visual pieces to that. Mm-hmm. So great musical journey in, in audio, and I turned it into a video format, which was really cool. And that's why I generated the 2,500 views it did in that one night was because we just had so much more, you know, engine and torque behind the advertising push of it. And it didn't have to do with our hashtags. Mm-hmm. Um, the only hashtag we used was 88th and hustle. And that was just whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's important for podcasters to understand that if you can take your viewers for an audio journey, you should be equally responsible to take them on a visual journey when it comes mm-hmm. to advertising, because how else are you supposed to advertise a podcast? Um, we live in a very visual world right now where everybody gets their content through you know, Instagram. Uh, right. I mean, it's it's basically putting your little your little th- thumbnail on your like iTunes or whatever you're listening on uh, on top, I guess. But here's yeah. my ap- approach to that. Uh, here's my vision in terms of like what I would like to propose to my my consumers is that I'm doing this video thing mainly as a introduction of myself to my uh, listeners to my consumers. And yeah. So- Again, because I mean, again, watching a show where you're just kind of staring at two screens, you know, on the left and right, or even if it's a live kind of thing, it's 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 very like, I mean, you can't just spend one hour just watching that. I mean, you're you're still consuming it through your ears, right? So what I'm what I'm doing right now is basically I'm trying to develop trust with my with my uh, listeners, whereas they say like, okay, this is how we look, this is how we talk, and just I just would like to propose to you that I'm gonna do this kind of thing. Uh, like twice a week, for example. And yes. this, the whole video aspect is really just like, it's more promotional. Like it would be great if I'd be like viral on YouTube, but eventually I'd like to develop some sort of a relationship with the consumer that they see me. Okay. they know me, I'm recognizable to them. But then when they go to work, I just want them to take me with, uh, with them in their pocket, right? Through, through an actual audio experience. And so when they drive to work, they can put me in the car yeah. and listen to me because they already know Very my good what I represent and like who we talk to. And if they want to check it out, they go, they can always go to YouTube. But like ideally long, long term, I just want that trust with the consumer that they know that I'm always going to be there twice a week. And so they can like rely on, on the fact that they can always go in like on that journey with me while they're doing their own thing, multitasking and not just staring at the screen. So like ideally I want to drive them to, to actually audio experience, but 
you know, I don't know if I can accelerate that. No, I think you hit the nail on the head there, Azizi. Uh, that's exactly what you should be doing. Uh, maintaining a relationship with your audiences by way of consistency, right? So it's um, when you're promising your audiences every week that, hey, listen, I got this podcast going out every Tuesday and Thursday, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you should have that shoulder programming, which is in forms of the video, which stays on LinkedIn and stuff like that. But then the audio experience is what you want them to have. And you're mm-hmm. developing that now. That's what you're doing. So you are absolutely on the right path. There's nothing you're doing that I can personally say, hey, man, you should not do that Like mm-hmm. because you're doing everything right. Um, so you just got to start planning more for your future audiences and understand what they want more of. And that's what retention tells you on YouTube. So when mm-hmm. you see audiences, right, that's why, I mean, it's really hard to talk about this now because I, I just, it was just today I encourage you to do timestamps. Mm-hmm. Start with the timestamps, circle back in 90 days with me. That's my formula, by the way. I tell my clients, circle back with me 90 days. So like when I give them a blueprint, it's like I call it the 90-day plan. And it started from Phil, my first ever athlete, till now, every athlete I work with. Mm-hmm. When I give them a plan, I, I sincerely believe that in 90 days, you can figure out if it's working or not based on audience's feedback. And if mm-hmm. you're looking at your data and you see that the charts are going down, that's time to change it up because it's not going to change the next three months. But mm-hmm. if you see even just a little bit of spike, a little bit of hope, I take mm-hmm. that as a huge indication that this is working and I continue the exact same plan for another 90 days just to see that needle really go up the next time. And it does every single time go up. It mm-hmm. all starts with a little pinch. That's it. That's, and that's what every creator needs to see is a little pinch, that little peak in their data that shows them that it's working. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in order to see what's working is you need to start having those timestamps so you can see what people are interested in and what they're not interested in. Otherwise, if you just give them an hour, Uh, to watch they're just like randomly clicking spots and you don't know what's interesting them or not when you have timestamps and they're clicking it and then youtube shows you how long they stay on that timestamp for now we're getting some actual data now we can find out what's going on and now we can serve them better next time by starting with that piece of the content fresh you know what Mm -hmm. i mean hello friends and welcome to azizi podcast I have a small favor to ask from you all. Please subscribe to my podcast on the app that you're currently using to listen to it. It will greatly help me out, and it will make it convenient for you to listen to my new episodes every time they come out. Also, I have a YouTube channel. Just search for Azizi Podcast on YouTube, and you will be able to see my conversations in a video format. Also, don't forget to subscribe to my YouTube channel. Anyways, thanks so much for listening. I so greatly appreciate it.